who was considered the worst poet in Scottish history, here on Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. And today we are continuing with part two on our podcast on the history of William Topaz McGonagall. But before we do, a couple of plugs up front. July 12th through 15th, I'll be producing StoryFest, a festival of storytelling at the People's Improv Theater. It's a four-day festival featuring the best storytelling shows in New York City. You can find out more at the Pitt's website on the interweb. And also, the month of August, I'll be performing in the hometown of William Topaz McGonagall at the Edinburgh Festival. All of August, I'll be performing my new solo show, Harmon Leon's American Horror Story, 9 p.m. at the Banshee Labyrinth. And now we dive into part two of the history of William Topaz McGonagall, the worst poet in Scottish history. I'm Harmon Leon, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Kalonico. How are you, Scott? I'm pretty good. Not too bad, Harmon. To recap from last week's episode, we talked about the William Topaz McGonagall origin story. How William Topaz McGonagall came about, how he started writing the worst poetry in Scottish history, where he was from, and what happened when he performed, which was being pelted with rotten eggs, peas, and herring. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, like, to go to, I mean, not to skip ahead, I mean, okay, well, uh, let, let's let's talk about the Queen first, and then... Oh, yeah, this is my favorite episode of yeah, McGonagall. This, this, this kind of sells it for me. This sells it as he's not, you know, trying to be bad. He actually believes, he believes in himself as being the best poet in the world. Yeah, go ahead, man. Jump right in, and, and this is one of my favorite episodes of the McGonagall saga. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was back in the day, uh, McGonagall realized that, uh, you know, if he wanted to succeed as a poet, he needed a patron. And who else but, you know, the number one uh, patron of poetry in the land, Queen Victoria. Here, so here. As you, as you, as you I do, am not uh, amused. Was that her? <laughs> that was her, yes. That, okay. That's when she saw a statue of her husband. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Queen Victoria, so um, McGonagall took pen in hand wrote a poem and a letter to Queen Victoria offering his services as a poet laureate and mailed it off. And then, as you do to letters to bureaucracies and, you know, the president and whatnot, he got kind of like a form letter reply saying, thank you for your poem, such and such, you know. The like the modern-day rejection letter. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a, rege- it wasn't a rejection as much as, as like a form letter. Th- thanks, we got that. You know? so, it's kind of a, a receipt of interaction. Right, yeah. So <laughs> McGonagall took that 
as you know, he grabbed onto that with all his dear life and, and took that as a sign that the queen wanted to retain his services as the newest poet laureate. So in order to uh, secure this position, what he felt that he needed to do was go meet the queen in person. And to give you a little, uh, to give our listeners out there a little bit of the uh, British-UK history, um, the royal family would usually take their vacations during the summer up in Balmoral, which is in the uh, Scottish Highlands, and it's about 60 miles away from Dundee. Yeah. Kind of over some rough terrain. It's 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 not like mountains, mountains, but for Scotland, it's pretty hilly, and it's like, actually like a Highland trek. Highland trek, and actually, the place where he walked up was called um, Glenshee Pass, which is where they have the only, uh, or they have one of the only uh, ski resorts in Scotland right now. So if that so, gives you some yeah. kind of idea of yeah, the, uh, and, and that would be that would be thank God uh, the weather was great, right? When he made no, the track. Actually, no, it actually wasn't that good. No, ah. it started as... I'm you up. Okay, thank you. It, being, as it is in, being as it is in Scotland, of course, during the summer. And yeah, he, he, it, it rained a couple of nights. He had a, I think he writes... Because he write, writes all this in his autobiography. Yeah, I'm reading he here about, it was a violent thunderstorm when he was walking yeah, the 60 miles through the mountainous yeah. terrain. And he had to hide beneath a rock, but then some... some uh, Farmer's wife let him stay there after he told him he was a poet and what his mission was. So he he did make the trek up to um, Balmoral, knocked on the door of the castle, and much as in the uh, scene in uh, Monty Python the Holy Grail when McGonagall said uh, he was there to be the poet, poet laureate, the guardsman told him, we already got one, which was Sir Lord Alfred Tennyson. He walked 50 miles from Dundee, where he was staying at the time, to Balmoral in order to see Queen Victoria, to show her his poetry and to persuade her that he should be the poet laureate. And then eventually he turns up there and really doesn't get beyond the guard on the door. He did continue to use the royal connection by printing VR at the top of some of his broadsheets. So basically he walked, because he got this rejection letter, all the way taking that as a sign that he's been knighted as the Queen's poet. Yes, and so decide to visit her in person. So, I mean, that's a little to me. That's a little. If you're playing this for a, for a joke, that's that's pushing it. I mean, that's like the ultimate jackass yeah. or the ultimate juiced and juiced. Juice, in this juice. Case. Yeah, which you're going to hear about in a previous podcast on uh, OJ yeah. Simpson's hidden camera prank show, juice. And there was a prank later to come, but we'll we'll get to that in a bit because let's yeah. do on. Uh, he did get juiced. On, uh, yes. he got juiced later on, uh, which yeah. and and uh, but we'll get to that. You know, like that's story but here it said he just returned home so did he just walk right back yeah he just, he just walked <laughs> so then, I, walk I never back. heard that part of the story when after uh you know he went to the castle he just all right I, actually i th- i think he might have because he would do these little walking tours he would go on like little minor tours he would like go to perth and um cities around the area and i think he might have like stopped in a couple places on the way back and did like recitals and whatnot Ah, so, you know, it's like, again, it's relatable, uh, you know, being in the world of comedy. He just, on the way back, just did some one-nighters. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Many of his performances end up in in disorder and riot, and ultimately um, he has to be banned because there are are so many uh, ill effects, if you like, 
did the one-nighters <laughs> on the road. Um, but yeah, making it back to uh, Dundee where he decided to um, pen his most famous poem ever, uh, the, the Tay Bridge Disaster. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. Oh, right, right, right. So how many years after, when you, what year did he pen that? And how many years was it in between the actual disaster and when he penned the poem, The Tay Bridge Disaster? Uh, it was only a couple months afterwards. I mean, that was the whole thing. It was like kind of, you know... Oh, shit, was, dude. So that's like writing the ode to the 9-11 Twin Towers like two months right, after. Yeah. And then it's coming right, up yeah. as the worst poem in history. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was like, you know, he was trying to... You're trying to capitalize on the notoriety of what of the news event, you know. That's where you're at, how you're trying to make money, you know. Um, and so, yeah. So he wrote this poem, and I think that's just kind of what cements it it's so bad is that he because he wrote it right afterwards. Oh shit! And, As they say in the business, yeah. too soon. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. And they well, not, not really, because that's what a lot of people would do. I mean, that's yeah. what these news, these broadsides would do to capitalize on the on the news. But like, it was just so bad. I mean, that's the thing. It was just so bad that it was, you know, it just happened. Um, yeah, and he's basically he basically the 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 poem. He's just saying the the bridge should have been stronger. <laughs> that's kind of. But he says they it should have reinforced the buttresses. Yeah, they should have reinforced forced the buttresses. That was his uh, his point in the whole poem. So that, and then he, he when he when the first uh, like uh, public outing of the Tabage disaster poem was it via performance or is it via these broadsheets? It would it would have been one of these broadsheets. It would have been one of these broadsheets, and probably he he would he would have performed at one of the shows. Wow. So I mean, just to get a whole feel for this is like this hammy bad Shakespearean actor reciting these really awful poems, awfully written poems. Yeah, and then the thing is, as we talked about when you get peace around him, he would make a thing of going into pubs to do these performances and then also talking, making performances about the dangers of drinking too much. Because <laughs> he, he, he was a teetotaler, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> this is the tragedy of, of McGonagall, that, that he, he just had such a lack of critical self-awareness in terms of the, the, the quality of his, of his poems. So imagine going in and doing poems about anti-drinking to a room full of drunk people. Yeah, so then either that, again, that, cause that stems back to was he Andy Kaufman or, you know, was he on the autism spectrum? Was he trying to? I, I think he was going where the money was. You know, he, he knew... Uh, that's where you could find people who would like, you know, be drunk and maybe think he was funny and give more money. So, yeah. So after that time, he kind of struggled for money and he would sell his poems in the street or recite them in halls or recite them in pubs. Um, and during the, 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 the periods of financial insecurity, his friends would help uh, support him with donations. But in 1880, he actually sailed uh, to no, in 1887, he actually sailed to New York where he tried to make it big in the world of poetry. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting, because he writes about that in his autobiography, and he does 
Uh, he sells from Glasgow, and he does spend an inordinate, 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 inordinate amount of time in the book talking about the buffets they served to them on the ship. Oh yeah. But did yeah, he, he went to New York. Did he write a poem called "Ode to Carnival Cruise Buffet"? No, but it's in there. He he writes it all. It's all in his autobiography. It's all there. If you want to see what he what ate. did he eat? What was buff- what oh, was I, cruise I, ship food? I think it was the name. Uh, the back in the day, it was a lot of meat, and they would call it a cold buffet. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. So if you want to see what they ate, um, yeah, and actually, you know, it was surprisingly, because that even back then, the old timey days, that was it was a ten day sta- uh, steam from New York to Glasgow. Wow, and so where would he perform in New York? So again, it's like going back to modern day. That's like everyone moves to like New York or Los Angeles to uh, make it big in showbiz. Uh, where would he perform in New York? Well, he would try. I don't know if he actually did. Maybe you should you could check that real quick if he actually did perform in New York. Um, shortly before that, he also he tried the same thing in London. That was like kind of his his first stepping stone. Uh, a few years earlier, in 1880, he went down to London. That was kind of his uh, his first trip away because he knew people from there, and I, I believe they set him up with a show or two uh, in London. Um, and then, but then New York is when he he tried to to make it big. Um, so what I found is not necessarily that he performed in New York, but he did write a poem called Jotting of New York, a poem by William Topaz oh, okay. McGonagall. And here I'll just read okay. uh, the, the opening stanzas. Almighty city of New York, you are wonderful to behold. Your buildings are magnificent. The truth to be told. They were the only thing that seemed to or, to arrest my eye because many of them are 13 stories high. It's kind of funny. <laughs> all right, should I, should I give it's it one right. more? One more stanza? Yeah, give, give another And as stanza, for yeah. Central Park, it is lovely to be seen, especially in the summer season when its shrubberies are green and the burned statue is there to be seen. Surrounded by trees on the beautiful sward so green. Also Shakespeare and the immortal Sir Walter Scott, which by Scotsmen and Englishmen should never be forgot. <laughs> okay, it goes on for about uh, yeah. another page or two. <laughs> it goes on for a while like that. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was very precise, that thing. That was the thing about 13 stories high and, you know, 1879. You know, he's very... Uh, Gets the facts right. Yeah, so again, really bad. Um, he kind of has a certain style where longer rhymes and then short to the blunt rhymes and then another really long right. rhyme. It, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like, if you and I've read his book of poetry, or I try to make it through his poetic gems, his book of poetic gems, and uh, it seems to be a consistent style that he kept with all through his career. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure we give a shout-out to our friends. Um, I'm going to point it out here. Uh, my, our friends, uh, Chris Hunt, who runs the site McGonagall Online, uh, mcgonagall-online.co.uk, I believe it is, who helped us out with our our, uh, our movie about McGonagall. He also... Oh, where can they see this movie, by runs the way? It's, it's, it, you can find that on The Atlantic. We'll have that in the... Um, in the in the blog post for the, that goes along with this, um, he runs the, that website, and they, he did an analysis. He the guys Chris is a database. He crunched the numbers on McGonagall's programmer. He crunched the numbers on McGonagall's poetry oh, yeah. usage, oh, yeah, yeah. and actually, it turns out like. 
like beautiful is like the number one word that he used. <laughs> beautiful or, or nice. Yeah, beautiful yeah. is so, uh, uh, Bridgeway Tay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sorry, what was the second word he uses the most? Uh, it was like beautiful, nice. It was, it was, it was. Uh, all the the words are are very. They're very sweet. You know, you you wouldn't think they would be for a bad poet, but all the the most words. His heart was in the right place, as they say. Yeah, I think so. So, how did McGonagall's career conclude? Well, we'll tell you. Hey everyone! Before we get back to the podcast, just wanted to give a shout out to our newest sponsor. WordsOverChair.com WordsOverChair is a full-service creative agency with offices in Brooklyn and Edinburgh that specializes in amazing storytelling, motion graphics, archival footage, all with a flair for humor. And the best part about WordsOverChair.com, you already like us. That's because Words Over Chair is run by yours truly, Harmon, along with my co-host, Scott Colonico. You might have seen our work on websites like Vice, The Atlantic, Vanity Fair, Timeline, and many others. Want to make something boring? Fine, do it yourself. Want to make something cool? Get in touch with us. Wordsoverchair.com So how did uh, McGonagall's career end? Well, here's here's the part that I like that... uh, Towards the end of his life, he actually found paid work. He would actually be paid to perform his poems at a local circus where he would read his poems. In order to get paid, he had to let the audience pelt him with eggs, flour, herring, potatoes, and stale bread. And for this, he would receive 15 (laughs) shillings a night. Yeah, I mean, that was, he didn't, I mean, that was part of the uh, theater goes arrangement. He didn't go there to get pelted with them, but that was inevitably, inevitably what would happen. So it was in his contract. So, and again, it's like, it's hard to sell. Is he the Andy Kaufman of the day? Chapter one. <laughs> in my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. All right, now look. Let's let's keep it down, please, because, you know, we have a long way to go. Or would he be just, come on, let, let, let me get through this. Let's, come on. <laughs> or, or just like every night, it'd just be a Groundhog's Day. Like he would complain to the owner of the circus. I, you know, I, I think he, he was just so enraptured with the attention it didn't really bother him i mean it was just it's like you were saying he because you would get you basically you would get these huge drunken crowds you know yelling at whatever you're saying and then at the end you know they throw all this crap at him which yeah but how did it end yeah here's here's why i think yeah. uh he was happy with it because he, he seemed happy with the arrangement of being pelted with uh rotten eggs and peas and herring uh but these uh. events became so raucous and rowdy that the city's magistrates uh were forced to ban uh mcgonagall from reading because they just got too crazy yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it got it, it, it was like riots, and again, this seems like something that's almost too good to be true. It's not. This is written in the newspapers of the day that <laughs> they they had to shut it. They had to have them. They didn't put a they. It's basically they said you, they wouldn't. Basically, what the deal was, they wouldn't give the circus a license as long as the circus had begun. And they named it by so name. They, they had to. They had to pull them. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, they they they. I don't remember if they named him by name, but it was it was everybody knew what was. And McGonagall became so outraged that, in response to the city magistrate uh, banning him from performing at the circus, 
he penned the poem called Lines in Protest to the Dundee Magistrates. That's right. That's how you get him back. Get him back with with your art. (laughs) 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 So, uh, in the end, kind of a little bit sad. How how did McGonagall's uh, life, life sort of end? Well, he um, had to keep moving around. He published uh, the uh, publication of a collection of his work entitled Poetic Gems, as we mentioned before. Um, and so they gave McGonagall a little bit of money, enough to live on for a while. Um, and then, but, not, but by 1893, he was not doing well in Dundee. He had to have him move around to Perth. You know, they, him and his wife had to keep changing places. And eventually he just pulled up stakes and decided he'd be better off in the big city where he'd be appreciated. Uh, and so he moved to Edinburgh. It was this during the era that he received a letter uh, 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 that representatives of the king, uh, probably not pronouncing this right, uh, Theba Min of Burma, uh, informed him that uh, the king had knighted him Topaz McGonagall, Grand Knight of the Holy Order of White Elephants of Burma. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, people are pretty sure this is all, uh, it was like a student prank to go to go back to the juiced. Uh, it was like, because there's a, you know, Edinburgh College, Edinburgh University was big at the time. And so and when the students found out that they had a, a genuine kind of mad, crazy poet dude in their midst, they couldn't help but um, kind of uh, teasing him a bit. So they, they teased him with uh, this letter supposedly written from Burma. But uh McGonagall wore as a yeah. He would actually refer to himself as Sir William Topaz McGonagall, Knight of the White Elephant, Burma, in his advertisements of his uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, poetry readings. Yeah, and he would also he would also claim that he was um, uh, yeah he was a poet in service to the Queen. He would use the um, the the Queen's initials on his poetry, which looked like it was a royal stamp. But uh, it wasn't. And again, it's like, I don't know, was he in on the joke or not in on the joke? And that's always been my thing about uh, McGonagall. I don't think so, man. I don't think he was in on He wasn't in on the joke. Um, he went along with it. I think he just kind of went along with anything that gave him more. more but I think, you know, because he, he became like a cult figure, you know, again, I guess, you know, the students were involved with knighting him, the, 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 the knight of the white elephant of Burma. Um, so, you know, maybe in a sense he was playing along with it or, uh, again, it, it's like he didn't get it. <laughs> but in the end, uh, sadly, he died penniless in 1902, was buried in an unmarked grave in Greyfriars Kirkwood Cemetery in Edinburgh. And a grave slab installed in memory in 1999 is inscribed, William McGonagall, Poet and Tragian. I earnestly hope the inhabitants of the beautiful city of Dundee will appreciate this little volume got up by me. And when they read its pages, I hope it will fill their hearts with delight while seated around the fireside on a cold winter's night. And some of them, no doubt, will let a silent tear fall in dear remembrance of William McGonagall. Tragedian. 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 And I, is, is this also on his uh, uh, grade marker? I am your gracious majesty, ever faithful to thee, William McGonagall, the poor poet that lived in Dundee. Yep, that, that's on his um, 
that's on the grave marker. Also interesting is that in those those last years in uh, Edinburgh, through some weird, I can't remember the exact story, but somehow he, uh, uh, William McGonagall wound up having dinner with... Um, wow, Stoke- seriously, author of Dracula. Author, author of Dracula, yeah. Oh my God, it's like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you always go, where in history would you like to drop in on and be part of that dinner? Who would yeah. you have dinner with of people in history? I think it'd be William McGonagall and the yeah, author of Dracula any fucking day of the week. And and there was and there was and there was one other person like cuz I remember the uh our friend Chris from McGonagall online told me the story and I can't remember there was one other famous person in there too. Yeah. It was a like William McGonagall, Bram Stoker and someone else. Oh my god. Do, do, do they do but, they uh, have yeah, dinner at yeah. in Edinburgh at Frankenstein's pub? <laughs> they probably they probably did. The guys were, that would be like the best night ever. <laughs> I know, dude. That was it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, tragic story. But there is um, interestingly enough because uh, as we mentioned before, Wayne McGonagall was a uh, teetotaler his whole life. But it turns out uh, the place that he died is now right above a pub. So you can find uh, Five South College Street in Edinburgh, if you're curious, over by the campus. Um, and there's a cl- plaque there that has an image of McGonagall and bears the inscription, William McGonagall, poet and tragedian, died here 29th September 1902. Yeah, and, that's the and uh, we yeah, have been... Going. They have Sunday night, Sunday night uh, trad what, sessions. They have what sessions? What? Sunday night trad sessions. Oh, right, sessions, okay, gotcha, right, music. okay. And uh, we have been by there many a time, walked by where McGonagall used to live, and we've also yes. been in the Greyfriars Cemetery where we've seen the, uh, um, the grave marker for William Topaz McGonagall. And you have actually been in Dundee where they also have a, a, a commemorative marker for William Topaz McGonagall. What, what, what would that be? They've actually got a couple. But the best there, one, um, the best Dundee. one. They don't yeah, – I'm <laughs> – yeah, well, I'm the, I'm I'm more of the. I wish they would they would uh, kind of adopt uh, McGonagall a little bit more. Uh, there used to be a pub called McGonagall's, really? which is no longer there in Dundee. How, yeah, however, one of the pubs where he used to go in and preach his temperance uh, is still there. <laughs> so it's still kind of very Victorian. Do they have any uh, like uh, uh, portraits Street. or anything of McGonagall in the pub? No, don't yeah, and don't ask me the name of it. It's uh, it's Mother Something. It's on um, Perth Road. I can't remember the name of it right now. But there's a couple of kind of uh, uh, markers to McGonagall there. The one which is really interesting. There's a along the Dundee waterfront. There's a quote from a McGonagall poem. But the interesting thing is that one of the words in the in the uh, in the quote is misspelled. And a lot of people say that was was that done on ah, purpose. They say like the 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 the, the, the plaque maker was doing a McGonagall on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then my my favorite though, my personal favorite is the uh, William McGonagall. And is it a good car park. car park? It's pretty good. You know, actually, if you were to pull up the uh, picture in Wikipedia, I think you might. Oh, you put you put the the quote in there. I put a picture. I put a picture of the William McGonagall car park in there. And the wiki, wiki oh, nice. So McGonagall kind of, you know, all right, he died a penniless poet. Uh, he was considered the worst poet uh, in Scottish history. He'd perform, be pelted with rotten eggs, peas, and herring. But McGonagall's story kind of circles back into himself because to this day, his poems are still in circulation. And you can still, you know, buy 
William Tubman McGonagall's Poetic Gems. I bought a copy of it. I've read it. Um, not only that, but in 2008, McGonagall's broadsheet poems were, were, were auctioned off and were bought for 6,600 6, pounds um, by auctioneers. I think what is interesting is, is the way that Scotland, for some unknown reason, has decided to elevate this guy into a kind of national icon. McDermott is quoted as saying, and I paraphrase slightly here, that McGonagall was not a bad poet. He wasn't even a good bad poet. He wasn't a poet at all. Yeah, I mean, not too shabby for somebody that... Yeah, so, you know, world. he stands the test of time. And not only that, though, he, again, we, we brought this up front, that he has been embedded in, 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 in British comedy history. And we will get more into that next episode. Yes, this is our first three-part podcast here on Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. So in next episode, we will cover the influences of McGonagall on people like Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, the Muppets, and who is the modern-day McGonagalls in, in modern pop culture. And with that, it's time to plug away. Hey, Scott, do you have anything to plug? Well, of course, uh, Harmon, there'll be uh, this is the President podcast. You'll be uh, be able to hear our latest episodes pretty soon. You'll be able to hear us at thisisthepresident.com. But for right now, you can find it over at my website, scottclonico.com, also on um, wordsoverchair.com, where you'll be able to find some of those podcasts as well. So be sure to reach out, reach out, out to us, and, um, you know, who knows? Get in touch. And for me, I'll be producing a four-day storytelling festival in New York City at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit, July 12th through 15th. It's called Story Fest, featuring the best storytelling shows in New York City. And along with that, 